It's okay to clap. I'll just assume you're clapping for me. Well, it's cool for me to be back again, and hopefully we'll be doing this regularly. I've discovered in the, having done this now for 38 years, I can't do anything in one week. So I'm going to be with you two weeks. I appreciate sweet Diane Hilliard. I saw her in the hall. She said, are you preaching today? And she said, I've got to go home and do something. I don't know what it is. She and Ham are just special people. Ham's got a, a knack for knowing. I think he is clairvoyant. I went to school with her, clairvoyant. It was just a, that's a joke. I mean, I, I'm walking around, and I was trying to find a, a, a handout, bulletin, whatever you call them anymore. I wanted to check something on the back with my sermon notes. And so I just picked up Pam's and looked at the back of hers and put it back. And I go, so go back, and Ham's standing there with one. <laughs> he knew I was wandering around. He said, that's, that's probably what he's looking for. So you'll take your hand out. What we're going to talk about this week and next week, and so many sermons, I know Brother John can attest to this, and, and Marcus and others, anytime you're sharing the gospel, sharing scripture on a regular basis with others, a lot of that, if you're teaching, a lot of that comes out of your own personal encounters with God. There's no doubt. And I know in my own life and all that, that's been going on, it's been a crazy two years with Mary and now with me. And, and as, I, as I spend more time alone just in the Word, God generates in my heart things he wants me to share with, with you guys, uh, both campuses. And, for example, I love golf. Been an avid golfer for a long time. I used to play probably 25, 30 times a year. Uh, Mary got sick and played one time last year. And this year, I can't find my golf clubs. I don't know where they are. But, uh, I gave my old set to my grandson. I, I don't know what he did with them. Probably sold them. But, uh, I hadn't played this year at all. So by hope, uh, in October, <clears throat> God willing, we're going to get to go to Florida with everybody. And I hope to play down there one time. We shall see. It's the only time I played last year. But <clears throat> it's interesting. What we're going to look at today and next week, you look at your handout, it's not being ashamed of the gospel. And the reason that I want to share this with you, because what I've discovered, and I've been a Christian 52 years, and John knows because he was, uh, when John met me, I was not a Christian. He was the first guy that I ever met, that, that first Christian I ever knew, far, as far as I knew. Well, probably Doris Birchfield, I knew her, and, and she was certainly born again. But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what was going on. And I got saved early in 1970 and met Mary, and we got married a few years later. This week, we had our 49th wedding anniversary this week. And she said, I've been putting up with you for not 49 years, but 52 years, and, and your jokes are, are old and stale. I said, yes, ma'am. I know that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was just, it wasn't feeling, the Dead Sea wasn't feeling good. When, <laughs> but one of the things I've discovered, again, as the, old, the older I get uh, as a believer, and the more time I'm spending in doctor's offices, which is quite frequent lately, and hospitals, and I went to Baptist for about the 17th time this week and this year, and uh, the girl was preparing me for another procedure. And she goes, do you work here? <laughs> I said, no, but they are getting my office ready on the cardiac floor, so it will be ready soon. And it's interesting because her job was to shave me to get ready for the procedure, and, and they even shave your back for 
because I got to put pads on it and everything. And I've got this giant birthmark on my back. It's uh, what's called a port wine stain, if you happen to know what that is. It's massive. Mine's not look. Fortunately, it's on my back, and it's massive. And she just, when she's getting ready to shave my back, and, and she hesitates, and I know what she's doing. She's just staring at it, wanting to say, who burnt you? <laughs> so I just, me being who I am, I said, well, my wife was ironing my shirt, and it didn't get quite right because <laughs> I was wearing it. <laughs> but uh, I straightened her out. So, But the idea of being unashamed of the gospel, you never know when God's going to give you an opportunity to share your faith. I recently had a kidney procedure with it. Went in, and so this week I went to have the staples taken out. And it's a young doctor, urologist, really nice young man. And I've only known him, I met him earlier this year and scheduling all this. And he had done the procedure. So all I was doing this week was going in, take the staples out, 10, 15 minute procedure. And then go home, and then later on, go in and do some other stuff. But uh, he's really a nice guy. I said, oh, When you get this thing out, am I going to be able to do what I want to do? He said, Well, you can't play golf and you, and you can't cut the grass but you can have all the sex you want I said can, can, can we talk about that so he said no when I had the procedure I asked him you know how am I, I going to be because I didn't realize it was a lot more invasive than I had been led to believe and when I woke up he, I said so he said you, here's the one thing you can do Randy you can preach I don't want you to do anything else for a few weeks, but you, you can preach. So I said, well, thank you. So I, what I, <laughs> thank you. So what I found out this week, there's a couple of things you don't want to hear your doctor say. Remember that old joke? Well, like I heard one of those this week. So, you know, they just put you at a table, and, and the nurse comes in to, they, you know, it's like 20 staples, and she just, it's literally have industrial strength staples, and they're just going to clip it and pull them out. And it's, so she gets to the first one, and she clips it and starts pulling and starts pulling, and, and it's hurting like rip. And I said, well, I said, wait a minute, is it, is it, are they all going to hurt like this? And I said, if you don't, do you mind if I cuss while you're, while you're doing this? Because this hurts like a... <laughs> so the first two, she was just yanking, couldn't get them out, and she said, let me do the others. The other 18 came out easily. And she said, let me go back to that first two. And I said, can we pray first? <laughs> so she goes back, and Mary's sitting right here. You have to know my wife. She's like, she's assuming that I'm going to have my staples out and it's going to kill me. That's my wife. So she's sitting like right there. And she starts yanking on again. It ain't coming out. She says, well, I'll be right back. Well, I know she was going to get the doctor at this point. And so he comes in there, and he says, so you got a little problem here, huh? I'll get those out. And... Here's the thing you don't want to hear your doctor say. You don't want to hear your doctor say, anybody seen my watch? <laughs> you don't want to hear your doctor say, whoops. <laughs> and here's what I heard Thursday, Friday, whenever it was, Friday, I guess. Here's what I heard. I've never seen this before. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that ain't good. And of course, I'm wide awake and I'm talking to him. I tell him, I said, what do you mean you've never seen this before? This is what you do. And he said, I've never seen this before. Somehow, these staples got, he said, have you been punched in the stomach since we did this? I said, no. I did everything you told me to do. And he said, well, somehow, when they got it inside you, they bent them, and they're twisted. And I said, that doesn't sound good. 
He said, I've never seen this before. <laughs> I said, uh, what are we going to do? He said, well, you're going to pray. <laughs> and while you're praying, I'm going to get these staples out of you. And I said, again, one more time, you don't have any problem with me screaming out curse words, right? But he got it out that really not. He said, now nah, you can go preach and do everything you want to do except play golf and mow the grass. So, Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What we're going to look at for this week and next week is how important it is to be prepared and understand that the gospel that we believe in, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the truth that sets people free. And why it's so important that we live that, that we're excited about it, and that we're not ashamed of it. And I remember as a, as a and Mary and I have talked about this many times when we met in 1970 and we, over the years, and being married almost 50 years, and we talk about different things. She said, the, in, in, all, in all seriousness, she said, the one thing that attracted me to you the most other than your incredible good looks, okay, that was the non-serious part, but the serious part was, she said, the thing that attracted me the most to you, you had been saved when we went to Florida that first year, 1970, I'd been saved about two months, and my wife grew up in church, a devout, I mean, I was so attracted to her because of her faith and her family, I didn't know that, and, and her uh, beautiful singing voice, and she said, but you would go up to anybody. We went to this place in Panama City Beach called Shipwreck Island. And she said, you would go up to anybody, adult or teenager, without any fear and ask them, did they know Jesus? And I said, well, I thought that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> and then what I learned over the years, and I've been in this camp, but you probably have as well, there have been times when you knew you should have said something. And you didn't do it. For whatever reason, and it's not our job to embarrass people. It's not our job to, I can't convert anybody. It's my job, though, to share the gospel. That's why we're on the planet. That's the reason the camera was sharing earlier during worship. And uh, Demon Teresa was talking about Rick, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. God saved you. We're going to look at this in 2 Timothy. He's got a great purpose for you. Now, you may not be. Brother John or Marcus or me, you know, or an elder, you're not one standing behind a pulpit teaching. So that's not your spiritual gift. If you're saved and you're still breathing and you're on planet Earth, guess what? God has something for you to do. Amen. Your prayer life is the most significant thing you can do. But you need to be unashamed of the gospel. You never know. Sitting in my house yesterday, just Mary and I were there, the back door opens and Andy and his wife and his well, six-month-old granddaughter comes in, and we love any time they come. They can just leave the little granddaughter and leave. Be fine with us. And little Nora comes in, and so we're, you know, we're just there for a couple of hours doing some stuff, just sitting around talking. And my son, just out of the blue, brings up some stuff that he wants to talk about in Scripture. And he's smart as my son is. He's got two college degrees. He teaches in college, and he's a bright man. But he had it all wrong. And it was important to me, and love is the key, gentleness, respect, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Because without Jesus Christ in a person's life, they have no hope beyond the grave. 
that's not what our country teaches anymore. It's what, not what many churches teach anymore. It's not popular to admit that there's a place where you can spend eternity separated from God called hell, eternal damnation. It's not popular, but it is the gospel. And here's why it's important. It allows us to say to those, and that's why Brother John and I talked about this a number of occasions, we love to do funerals. And some of you have heard me say, I love to officiate at funerals. I know pastors here in town that don't do them. That's a, an oxymoron, by the way, a pastor who doesn't do them. Like someone once said, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. It's why we're saved. And the reason that officiating funerals is so <coughs> such a thrill for me is that I know everybody there is thinking about death. Many of them are thinking about their own mortality. And so many of them don't have hope. They're terrified. That's why you're noticing, and you probably don't notice because you're not in them like we are, but in funeral homes, they're converting places in their funeral homes to a celebration of life chapel, like a piano bar. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that if that's what you want to do, but that's not going to give you hope beyond the grave. You should sit around and, and reminisce about your loved one and share fond memories with each other. That's a good thing to do. But in the midst of all of that, those of us that are believers need to speak in love the hope that's found in the gospel, the good news, that's what the word means, about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is doing in 2 Timothy chapter 1, leading into chapter 2, as he shares with Timothy. And I want you to see these principles that he's saying to Timothy, be unashamed of the gospel. Paul, as he writes this, if you'll flip over for just a second to chapter 4 of the book, just for a second. Flip, flip over to chapter 4, look at verse 6. Paul's writing, and I know many of you know this already, this is the last thing he wrote before he died. It's like his last will and testament. He's writing to his son in the faith, and Timothy, the, his protege. Carry on. Here's the baton. Notice what he writes in chapter 4, verse 6. One of the last paragraphs is the last paragraph he ever wrote. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He's at Rome. This is his second imprisonment, not the first one when he wrote Philippians and his prison epistles. He's at Rome. It's a cold, lonely prison cell and awaiting his execution. He was beheaded. Tradition says he was beheaded shortly after he wrote this. So he's writing to Timothy. And I love the, the phraseology he uses in chapter 4, verse 6. When he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the Hebrew mindset, here's what a drink offering was. You, you brought an offering to God, whatever the sacrifice offering might be. And a drink offering was what they called a libation. And you poured it over the offering before it was burnt to make it smell good. It was a sweet-smelling savor to God, like our lives are a sac sacrifice unto him. So what he's saying is, Timothy, on behalf, and it's what we saw in Philippians, he wrote, wrote to them. And he's saying to Timothy, on behalf of your walk with God, your life, after I'm gone, I want you to remember what I taught you. I want you to remember what you saw. I want you to remember how we ministered together. It's my time to go. And it's your time to go share the gospel. One of the things that culturally is happening in the United States 
is generationally the next, my children in their 40s, one in his 30s and two in their 40s, I look at their grandkids, my grandkids, their kids, that generation. I was talking to a young man yesterday, not my son, but another young man yesterday. Nice young man, one of my neighbors, good neighbor. He's got like four daughters. Nice guy. They don't go to church. They're not interested. He's not a bad person. He's a good old boy. Hardworking. Provides for his family. But that's not going to give you eternal life. It's not going to give you peace in this life. And that's what Paul says. Timothy, I want to remind you of what you have. That special thing that's been entrusted to you, we're going to see next week. That special thing that's been entrusted to you. Pass it on. So they'll pass it on. Now the exciting thing about this, we have the promise of Jesus Christ that the church will prevail. We are his body. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But you can look statistically. All you got to do is look around you and be aware. Church attendance in the United States of America is plummeting. Everywhere. Because that generation, my children's generation, think about what it's going to be like for their kids. They don't see the need for it. They don't see why it's important. We have to understand. Take advantage of the time you have. To don't be ashamed. Gently, lovingly, respectfully, meet people where they are, listen to them. And share the truth of the gospel. So here's Paul. He's writing. Go back to chapter 1 if you would. From a cold, lonely prison cell. He writes to Timothy. It's interesting. Timothy was even. You know, he's a young man in his 30s. He's timid. You read about him. We're going to read all the passages. He's scared. He had, he had a weak stomach. And one of the things that he might be struggling with as Paul writes to them is he was ashamed of the gospel at times because of the societal pressure that was on him. He was a pastor at Ephesus, which was this great pagan city. And it was a very real threat on Timothy that because of how close he was to Paul, that the same thing could happen to him that happened to Paul. Be imprisoned and executed. Very real threat. In his life. And Paul writes to him, don't be ashamed. They need you. Stand up. This is Paul's message to him. Don't be ashamed. He reminds Timothy that you're going to have to suffer for the gospel. That great verse, all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. Paul wrote it to Timothy. You will be persecuted for your faith. Understand it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Talk more about that. The assurance that you could share with people that what the gospel offers to them, peace now, peace of God, Philippians talks about, and peace with God, Romans talks about, both written by Paul. Peace with God, you're adopted into the family. Peace of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's our possession as Christians. And everybody wants that. Everybody wants it. That's why the thing about funerals is such a big deal. It's everybody's terrified of what's beyond the grave. What's beyond the grave? What, is the Bible? what did Paul, who wrote 
Paul wrote a lot of discovering it. Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, said what about that? We're not scared of dying. Grave doesn't hold any terror for us. There's no fear in death for us. Do people not want that? Now, they think we're just ignorant, non-intelligent, irrational, religious nuts. That's why it's important you share the truth in a logical, systematic way. Speak the truth in love. You got that stewardship. You're going to suffer for the gospel. You got to share the gospel and understand your role of stewardship. God has entrusted it to us to manage. That's what the word means. Share it. Invest it in the lives of others. All right, let's go to chapter one. The first thing on your, in your handout, first point. <coughs> this is the idea of being unashamed of the gospel. What Paul's communicating is you're going to suffer for it. Understand it's important. Not being ashamed of the gospel is the key thought in this portion of 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, Paul, his prisoner, but share with me, Timothy, you share with me, Paul, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Look at verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Until Jesus returns, we know that he's going to carry us. He is able. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chain. He's a specific example to Timothy. Onesiphorus came, took care of me, and he wasn't ashamed. Something might have happened, but he stood up, encouraging Timothy, don't be ashamed. Step up in the place in which you've been placed. So, back to chapter 1, verse 8. First word is therefore. Let's look back and see what he's referencing. Verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather of power, love, and a sound mind. We don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Again, that's the theme of this whole section of 2 Timothy. We don't have to be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy, in any way because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have that power. How powerful is the Holy Spirit? Omnipotent? I like to throw Latin around. It took four years of Latin. That's only three words I learned. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. That is the God who's not just your father. That is the God who's not just your savior, the father, the son. It's also the God who indwells you. Wow. The God who indwells us. The God who works through us, in us, through us. To communicate to the world, I am. You can look every place else you want to look, and that's what the world does. But ultimately, God says, you're going to, either in this life or the next, you're going to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and say, you are Lord. Amen. You are Lord. And our job is to share the gospel with them now so they don't have to face it in the next life. At the great white throne judgment. That they can be born again like we are. One of the things I in my in my personal prayer life, and I and I've been struggling a lot. I don't, and I don't mind being honest and vulnerable. I think it's important. I've struggled a lot lately with with how valuable maybe what I do is at times, and that's selfish in, in a sense. 
it's important in my prayer life. The one thing the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me is, Randy, you're mine. I saved you. I got things for you to do. That's the genesis of this sermon. I, I got things for you to do. Stop whining and do them. Quit complaining and do what I saved you to do. Now, if you'd have met me in 1970, 71, 72, and even into college, I was working with, even after I got saved in my senior year and then into college, I worked with teenagers, and I loved doing it, and I taught Bible studies. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that this is what God had for me down the road. And I was about 30 when, and, you know, working in the business world, had a nice job, two little girls, and Mary and I had a good life. And it just got, kept getting this impression in my heart. I want you to go into ministry. I want you to work with teenagers full time. And I resisted and I resisted. And finally, I went to the pastor of my church, happened to be Brother John's brother. And I told him, and I figured if they were, had a brain, they would hire me. Because I've been there a long time, and you know, it's a big church, and, and I've been doing a lot. And I figured, well, let's see, you know, they, they'd be blessed to get me. And, you know, Jimmy was really, uh, he's the first guy, it just enamored me when I heard him preach the gospel the first time. Like, he talks about Jesus like he met him. And he said, Randy, I'm excited for him. We're praying for you. We just, but we're not, we don't have a place for you here. And I left that meeting and he sat down. And I thought, well, that was my, that was my plan. But it wasn't God's plan. God's plan was this. It was about a year later, I think, John contacted Jimmy and said, we're looking for, uh, back then they called them youth directors. And Jimmy said, well, you might want to talk to Randy. And the rest is history. You burdened with it. 38 years ago. I had no idea. And then even after I came here, I, you know, I was doing teenagers and I was doing sports. And my job description was anything Jim Kaler didn't do and that John didn't want to do, that's what Randy did. And I love sports and I love teenagers. So I was having a blast. I loved it. And one day John said, oh, by the way, you're going to have to teach this adult men's adult Bible study because the guy's going to do it backed out. I ain't got time to do something else. But he asked me to do it, so I did it. And, man, that was just the hand of God because that's where I learned the value of Scripture. I, yes, I'd been teaching Bible studies. And yes, I was born again. And yes, I love Jesus. But I didn't know how to study the Bible. I didn't know the value, what I could get out of it on my own. And God introduced me to this precept Bible study and to a man named Wayne Barber. Scott and Chris Ellis and Scott Jones both spent time with Wayne. They got to know him. And he, God used him in my life, our, three of us, particularly our lives, to just enhance our love for the scriptures. And the phrases that I use, so much, and I did that for still teaching some of those books to this day that I went through in precept because God had that for me. This is what he wanted me to do. And until he tells me, stop doing it, I need to quit whining and do it. So back to the suffering. So he says, because of the Holy Spirit's power in us, verse 8, we are to boldly proclaim the gospel. Never be ashamed, because again, it is the most important information any human being walking planet Earth can ever get, is that Jesus loves you. He died and paid your sin debt. 
so that you could be set free from the power of sin and ultimately the presence of sin when you die one day. And he'll give you peace, hope, joy, and purpose in life right now. You can't get it anywhere else. He'll give it to you. It's his gift. That's the gospel. So you look at verse 8, he's talking about the power of God. Timothy was one of those who might shy away from it because he was timid and he was frail. But the circumstances that God had placed him in at Ephesus demanded that he be a witness. And it was going to involve physical suffering and mental suffering. Now, it's very important that he understand this principle. How many of us enjoy suffering? Would you raise your hand? Okay, of course we don't enjoy it. Two quick examples from Scripture, and you know them both well, but it really helps me again this week thinking about it. Paul had a physical affliction. We don't know what it was. He had a thorn in the flesh. You know, you would think if there's anybody that God was going to heal, and God can heal anytime, you know, and he does when he wants to, his will, not mine. If there was anybody that God was going to heal, wouldn't it be the Apostle Paul? And he begged God three times. Please remove this from me. Because logically, let's just think about it from our perspective. Lord, how much better witness I could be for you if you just make it where I could see. That's what a lot of people thought his, think his thorn in the flesh was. That, or whatever it was. That just, you know, Lord, I could be so much more effective for you if you'll just take this away from me. And God made it clear, Paul writes, no, I'm not taking it away from you. My, you all know the verse, my grace is what? Sufficient, Sufficient for you. There, what he's saying to Paul was, you're going to have to deal with it. And I expect you to deal with it in a way that glorifies me. That's what suffering is for the gospel. And you read the rest of that passage, what does Paul end up saying at the end of it? When I'm weak, then I am strong. It's not just, I can't do it. I have to depend on God. I can't get rid of this thorn in the flesh, so I got to deal with it. But in the process of dealing with it, I got to point people to Jesus. I'll give you one other example that you're very familiar with. What did Jesus pray when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. While he was praying that and his best friends were napping, when he asked them to watch, they were napping. He was totally alone, agonizing over going to the cross. He asked the Father, is it possible to remove this from me, this cup? What's the next thing Jesus said? Nevertheless, not my will, yours. Aren't you glad Jesus went through with his death on the cross? Of course. He knew, and that's what he, what he told them in the upper room discourse, my hour has come. How long had he known about that hour, by the way? Forever. Prior to the creation of the universe, he knew that he was going down the cross for us. He also knew that this was our time in history to be unashamed of the gospel. That he saved us for this moment. He knew. He didn't, but he agonized. 
by the way, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, if it's possible, move this cup from me. What was going on in his body physically? He's sweating blood. Do you think? It's called hematidrosis. Do you think if you're sweating blood, you might be in some physical agony? Of course. He was in spiritual agony, physical agony, mental agony, emotional agony. But he went through with it because he knew it's what God wanted and it was the Father's will. And he loved us through it. What a testimony. That's the way God wants us to handle. We have the power. We don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy it. But we realize that God is bigger than the suffering. And he's doing something. And he wants us to understand that. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 for a second. In 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, we'll get into this next week. You therefore, my son, be strong. Powerful, there's that phrase. Be strong in what? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not strong in your ability to work it out. Not strong in your ability to program it well. Strong in the grace that's in Christ. Paul was an incredibly intelligent man, Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher. He was incredibly good at what he did, which was having Christians executed, imprisoned. He was really good at his work. Now he's writing to Timothy and says, you've got to be strong in the grace that's in Christ. What's grace God giving you? Suffering. Not what you can work up what you're capable of doing, but God's gift to you. I love when, when Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. You just see not just the power of God blinding him and all of that. But what did G, when, when Jesus blinded Paul on the road to Damascus, by the way, why was he headed to Damascus? To kill Christians. Jesus blinds him encounters him, confronts him. And what did Jesus ask him? You remember? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Think about that for a moment. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Because that's who he was persecuting, was the followers. What's Jesus saying to us? When you're persecuted, I take it personally. That's why Paul said it's a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. He takes it personally. Now, does that mean it's all, bottom line is it's not going to be easy in this life. He's, he said so himself. The world will hate you because it hated me. Expect it. But revel in the opportunity that it brings. When are you the strongest in your faith? We already thought about it. Paul said it. You know it. When are you strongest in your faith? It's when you figure out, I can't do this. I can't do it. We talked about the other night, the elders meeting, we were talking about Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah wouldn't have made it on too many church staffs anymore. Dude preached 50 years. Faithfully said, thus saith the Lord, 50 years and did not have one positive affirmation. We'd have had the boys get together and say, you know, this Jeremiah, he must be a bullfrog or something. He ain't working. You three dog night fans. He ain't. It ain't gonna work. We gotta. We gotta move on. Good guy, but it ain't working. 
And I love Jeremiah. I mean, I just love to read it. This is the good thing about meditating on Scripture. You're not seeking something metaphysical. Just stop. There's a place in Jeremiah. I think you and I were even talking about it the other night, John. There's a place in Jeremiah where he says, I love the honesty of Scripture. I can't do this anymore. And you know what? I don't blame him for saying that. Let's say it had been 25 years, 30 years, 10 years. Nobody said, "Out of boy. Nobody said, I want to give my life to the Lord. Nobody said, I want to follow the law. 50 years. Somewhere in there, he says, I just can't do it anymore. I'm giving up. That's honest. It's real. And by the way, it's where we all get sometimes. To be honest, I've been there. Thinking you're not affected. And it's, it's time. And then you know what the next thing Jeremiah said was? I can't stop. It's a fire in my bones. I got to let it out. I got to let it out. Because that message of the gospel is what will change your life forever. Just with, by a show of hands, and not, not gonna, I'm not going to embarrass you. Once you raise your hand, then I'll call on you and I want you to share your worst sin. No, by a show of hands. How many of you have somebody, not necessarily in your nuclear family, but somebody in your family who's not a Christian that you've been burdened for for a long time? Think, just look around. Almost every hand in, almost everybody. My two siblings, my mom and dad both passed away. Neither one of my brothers are Christian. My older brother is an alcoholic. He's got a disease that's going to kill him. My younger brother has lived on the streets and has an alcohol problem. I love my brothers, and I get along real well with the old one. The younger one doesn't talk to me except when he wants money. I love them. I pray for them, and I want to see them saved. I've been witnessing to them for, for 52 years. They're not interested. They're not interested. It burdens us, doesn't it? If it doesn't burden you, there's something wrong with you. It should burden you. Now, you can't fix it. I can't make them get saved, but I can love them. Mary taught me so much when my younger brother, the first time he called and wanted money, and I wasn't going to do it because he owed me a bunch of money already. I just wasn't going to do it. And my wife, God gives you the right person. She said, who's the Christian in this relationship? And it's you or your brother. And I was like, son of a gun, I knew I shouldn't have married her. Man, it cut, but she was right. And when I went to him and I asked him to forgive me, and he knew he had wronged and, I mean, took a ton of money from me. And I went to him and said, I want to ask you to forgive me. He had no idea what I was talking about because he's not a believer. He started crying. He said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I've had a bad attitude towards you, and I've been bitter, and it's hurting me spiritually. And I want you to forgive me. Now, I didn't mention Jesus. I didn't mention getting saved. But what did it say to him? Man, Randy takes this stuff serious. Next Sunday, he was at my church. Now, he hadn't been back. But he came one time. Amen. One time. Because that's a way to share the gospel, isn't it? I'm not asking for anything. I didn't come to, to browbeat you. 
I just want to lovingly tell you, this is what God has done for me. And the Holy Spirit's convicted me that I've had a wrong attitude about you, and I just want to ask you to forgive me. And that was it. We moved on. Who needed that the most at that moment in time? I did. Because I, I wasn't where I needed to be because I was letting him and money be my focus. And that was wrong. He says to Timothy, it's part of the Christ life. Now, key principle. When the Bible talks about suffering for the gospel, it is not talking about suffering for the sin that you've committed. It is not reaping what you've sown. It's what we've just talked about, like Paul, example. Suffering for doing what's right in society, putting you down or using you, sometimes abusing you. And I've used this example many times at Arlington. If I go down the street here and rob a bank, and they put me in prison, am I suffering for the gospel? Now, I might suffer for the gospel once I got in there, but if they arrest me for robbing the bank and put me in prison, I'm suffering for what I have done. I'm reaping what I've sown. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about honoring God, in the midst of difficult circumstances, whatever they might be. Again, my lovely wife, and she's so special to me, and uh, since she got this diagnosis of gastroparesis and all that she went, especially last year, watching her, her testimony, it really encouraged me. Because that's a nasty condition. It's hard. It's this morning, I'm leaving, getting ready to leave Arlington. She's in my office. <laughs> She was staying in Arlington today, and I'm getting ready to come out here. And she's standing in my office, my palatial office there by the front door. She's standing there crying. I said, sweetie, what's wrong? She goes, oh, I'm just having some spasms from the gastroparesis. She never knows when it's going to hit her. She does know I'm going to wake up every morning like I've got morning sickness every day. She just gets past it, does what she has to do. And she'll whine to me and to Mary Cuts, but that's, nobody else knows. Her testimony was just so powerful. She just handed it to me. And if nothing else, what has she done? She's encouraged me. She's encouraged me. So that I can encourage others. Every moment of your life is an opportunity. And you never know how that opportunity is going to work out couple more things and we're going to stop today. Back to verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Testimony of our Lord. I love that. What's Paul saying to Timothy by that statement? I don't want you ashamed of Jesus, and I don't want you ashamed of me. How close to, to were Paul and Timothy? They were as close as two men could be. Two human beings could be in serving God, serving together, mentor, the protege. They were close, like a father, literally like a father and a son in ministry together. And he said, I don't want you to be ashamed of Jesus, our Lord. He said, he's gone. I know he's not on the planet. You can't see him. But he's, this is so, this principle. Ever hear anybody say to you when you're witnessing to them, you show Jesus to me and I'll follow him. 
know what you can do? Okay. I read a great story about this. A guy in college, he kept saying that to him. He said, I'll tell you what, the guy kept saying, you talk about Jesus all the time, show him to me. You know what he told the guy to do? He said, you move in with me. I want you to come live with me for three months on college campus in the dorm. You, you leave your dorm, you come live with me for three months. And at the end of that three months, you tell me what you see. Now, that's a challenge in your life, isn't it? To live what? Christ-like. Let him see it. Let him see Jesus by the way you live. Isn't that what we want? Should be. Should be that we want them to see Christ. That's why Paul writes, what's my hope of glory? Christ in me. Christ, that's his favorite phrase. You see it throughout his epistles. His favorite phrase to describe what it means to be a Christian is in Christ. Christ in me. In Christ. Right? You see it over and over again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Any man's in Christ, he's what? New creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're not the same person. You've got the same eyes, but you see differently. That's what the literal Greek is. You get a new set of eyes because Christ is in you, in presence of the Holy Spirit. The number one being 2,000 years after he left the planet in our lives as Christians is Jesus of Nazareth. There's no exception. He should be. Now, do we always live like he is? No. That's the beauty of grace. Did Jesus know you are going to let him down? Of course. That's why you got the presence of the Holy Spirit to handle the conviction and the encouragement and the chastisement where necessary so you can glorify Christ. The word testimony here, and then we're going to stop with this. The word testimony here in verse 8 means proof. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Proof in court is literally what it means. The suffering is of Jesus Christ. No reason to be ashamed. <laughs> Jesus proved that he's exactly who he said he was by rising from the dead. He proved it. And when he says, you destroy this body and in three days I'll raise it up, what did he do? He let him destroy his body and in three days he rose again. Because he is exactly who he said he was. Now what does his testimony do? Sets us free from judgment. He took my judgment at the cross. He took my condemnation. Condemnation. It allows us, his testimony, his proof, allows us to come into the presence of God by the very presence of God in our lives all the time. We don't have to go to a temple. We are the temple. He's with us all the time. But here's the final point under the suffering. It also took our judgment, took our condemnation, but made it clear. By choosing to follow me, you will suffer and many of you will die. Remember what he said to them in John 6 and other places, but in John 6, he said, you want to follow me? Here's what you got to do. Number one, you got to deny yourself. Number two, you got to take up your cross. And number three, then you can follow me. If you lived under the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago and you picked up a cross, where were you headed? To be killed. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Come on. But it will not be easy. Jim Kaler used to say, and I love, I love Jim, and he was one of my heroes. We, we came to work here the same month, 1984. I love Jim. And he used to say, yeah, it's tough, but the, re the, the rewards are beyond the grave. They're eternal. Or here's how he put it, the rewards are out of this world. 
how you do. There's two people I was around a lot in my life as a believer that I never saw them negatively affecting Jesus Christ. One was Jim Taylor, and the other was my mother-in-law. You knew if you were around them, they loved Jesus Christ with all their heart. I hope people could say that about me. I have some of the people that hang around me, I'm like, well, it's a time now. <laughs> you play basketball with him because he might be confused at that moment in time. But I love the opportunity. Last thing. Here's what you need to start praying in your life as an individual believer. Every day, you ask God, God, give me an opportunity today to share the gospel with someone. By the way, that's his will for you. And you know what you'll find? You'll discover if yeah. And I'm not saying you've got to go through the four spiritual laws with someone or you got to go down the Romans road. That's not sharing the gospel. It's just like maybe a word about Jesus to encourage someone. But when you pray for those opportunities, guess what's going to happen in your life? You'll have to choose which ones you're going to pick because you'll have so many if you're serious about it. Lord, give me an opportunity today to share the gospel with someone. I'm, I'm just crazy and Mary, Mary laughs about me, but I'm when I'm sitting in those rooms waiting for them to work on me, anybody comes in, I don't mind. And I don't say, you, do you know Jesus? It's somehow because of what I do for a living. They'll say, well, what church are you at? And that kind of thing. And, and I get opportunity after opportunity. Now, I realize that's a little different. But it may be something as simple as you saying, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? I appreciate you being here taking care of me, and I want you to know that. Is there some way I can pray for you? I've seen John do it in restaurants. Never crossed my mind to do that in a restaurant. Those people work hard. And to say maybe to your server, is there some way I can pray for you? And by the way, if you're a Christian, you should be a good tipper. That frustrates me to no end. Christians are some of the worst tippers in the world, especially preachers. All right, let's pray and the worship team will come up and we'll have our closing time together. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in... Um, our hearts individually start with Randy, every one of us. We would never be ashamed of the gospel because it's so special. It is not just good news. It is the news that will change people's lives. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He conquered our two biggest enemies, sin and death. They are defeated. We simply have to come to him by faith, trust what he did at the cross. Thank you that you saved us. All of us that are born again, we're your children. And as our father, we want people to know about you. We want to brag on you. We want people to know who our dad is. Because you do love them. You do care about them. So, Lord, for all of us that are here, all that might be watching, we would be challenged to seek opportunities to share the gospel and never be ashamed. We pray in Jesus' name.